Gospel reading this morning is from St. Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32, and can be found in the Pew Bible on page 1623. Luke 15, 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to be filled, to have his stomach filled with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. And I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up. And he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, The older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard the music and saw the dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come. Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry. 
and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when his son, when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Some time ago, I rediscovered a theologian, and I'd mentioned his name before. His name's uh, Chad Bird, and he's wonderfully gifted. And he has a description, and he has a name for it in, in uh, Hebrew, and I, I can't pronounce it. Maybe someday I'll ask him, and we'll work on it so I can. But it's, the meaning is this, is it's to take Scripture and to shake it, and to pour it out. So imagine, you know, like popcorn or anything in a bowl or with a lid on it, and you're shaking it up, and you pour it out. That's what the rabbis, that's what that word in Hebrew would mean, would say. Take it and shake it out, and then look at it and see what it says. I like that. Because I shake stuff up all the time, and I drop it, and I have boys, and they've grown up, and there's always a mess. And I don't look at this as making a mess of the word. I look at it as breaking it down to little bitty parts. We hear that all the time. When faced with a huge obstacle, Tim was talking this morning to me about that, a huge obstacle. A lot of times people look at it and go, what am I going to do? And also you've heard the, the term of if you're tasked to eat an elephant, you start that task one bite at a time. And that's what we're going to do with Scripture this morning. In Isaiah, we see this morning some words that I want you to go home and, and read and underline in your Bibles. In Isaiah, this uh, particular chapter, chapter 12, Isaiah is predicting the defeat of the Assyrian army, which is coming to absolutely whoop on God's people. And they were formidable. And so in this chapter 12, he changes from warnings and he talks of grace, he talks of praise, he talks of victory. It is said that this is a song of praise. Chapter 12, 1 through 6. 
that God put on Isaiah's lips. A song of praise, not even just that, one of hymns in the songbook of heaven that we all will get to sing together one day when all things are made new again. Does that make you want to read it? I hope so. Go home and look at it after the service. Go home, chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, and take a look at these words that I shook out that you don't really have to shake out. They're right there, but I highlighted them, and here they are. In that scripture, you will see the first word that pops out at me, comforted. You comforted me. But just before that, it says, although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you comforted me. God comforts his people, his children, his sons and daughters. Next word that pops out is strength. Not my strength, his strength strengthens me. And another word that comes out is salvation. God is comfort, strength, and salvation. Shake it out some more. You will find with joy I will draw water from the wells of salvation. Wells of salvation, what does that sound like? Starts with a B and ends with a baptism. And Isaiah. And lastly, it exhorts us to give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Does that sound like the Great Commission a little bit? And then there's the promise where he says, shout out loud and sing for joy, people of Zion. That's the chosen people. God's been rescuing you guys since the very beginning. People of Zion, we'll get to it in a little bit, but in the prodigal son, that older son's angry. I have obeyed all your laws, and you haven't given me a thing. He is representative of the Pharisees. He's the representative of the chosen people, and they're mad because God is showing favor to a little brother who is a ne'er-do-well. We'll get back to that. Second Corinthians Chapter 5, 16 through 21, this is where in this sermon and this, this lectionary series, the gospel truths pop out. I think the most beautiful one I see here is, for our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You heard that? You heard that in the absolution? By his authority, for his son's sake, he declares you and all of your sins forgiven. You are forgiven. Did you hear that? That's what he does for you and for me. Time after time after time. So the prodigal son, here we go. Yet another story about a man and two sons. Boy, there's a whole bunch of them in the, in, the, in the Bible, isn't there? 
a man and two sons. And have you noticed that our God does things a little differently than we do when, when we, we talk about hierarchy and sons and so forth? So usually uh, in maybe, well, in most cultures, the oldest son ranks in, in importance and honor. Does he not? The first one? Oh, that's my, my first son. Usually, in, in, that's the one that gets the inheritance, or at least in, in, in times before now and in the United States, uh, you know, where usually, I guess, people split an inheritance if there is one. But uh, the oldest is usually the favored one. The oldest is usually, you know, that, whoa, that's my boy. But not in this story. Not in this story. In fact, God uses the youngest son, the little brother, often, almost always, to show his will, to show his nature. Let me remind you of a couple of sons and little, you know, uh, brothers, and the little brother is used powerfully. We got Cain and Abel. We got Jacob and Esau. We got Joseph, little brother, and his brothers. We got Moses and Aaron, we have David and his brothers. The little brother is used powerfully to show God's will. And in this story, it's no different. We hear that this little brother goes to a distant land after unusually asking his father for his inheritance. That just wasn't done in the culture. It was done after the father had passed away. It was a shameful act that he did. I mean, this was bad. This is sin against heaven and the father. This is horrible. And he went to a distant land. He, if you will, exiled himself. It was a self-exile. Unlike Joseph, who was exiled by his brothers, this guy decided, I had enough is enough, and in a pasture, I'm going to the other side of the fence because it's greener over there. Let's see what goes on. He's also different than Jacob because Jacob, uh, well, Jacob was just trying to keep breathing in this world after all that he had done to Esau. So this little bugger decides he knows best, and he's going out, and he's going to make a name for himself. He's going to get away from the Hicks and the people that just aren't with it, and I'm going to go do my thing. What a sinner. You ever run any, into anybody in life that acted like that? You're looking at one, but um, you're looking at one. So here's what happens. He goes off to a faraway place we know. And isn't it interesting that God uses trouble or, air quotation, stuff to bring us back? God uses extremes to bring us back to where he wants us to be. Perhaps where we should have been the entire time, but in our own knowledge, we decide we're going to go somewhere else. There's the flaw in God is my co-pilot, right? God doesn't even want you up in the cockpit, right? But oftentimes we're flying the plane and the Holy Spirit says, I wouldn't turn that direction and yet we'll do it. 
And he lets us. And in his mercy, God uses trouble. He does this, why? Why does he do this? Why does he allow trouble to come into our lives? Why does he let pain come into our lives to bring us back to him? Why? Well, I don't know. But it could be in order to show that he cares, to show and demonstrate his care, to show and demonstrate his concern, to show and demonstrate his protection, to show and demonstrate his his love for you and for me. And in this story, God uses famine. Man, that, I mean, that would get my attention too. I need to eat. So he uses famine and he uses it here and we hear that the boy comes to his senses much like anyone who has big trouble, stuff. Extreme stuff happens when we come to our senses. And not unlike myself, maybe you've done this before. Have you ever rehearsed an apology? (laughs) I have. Rehearsed an apology. And he does. He goes, I know what I'll do. I'll tell my dad that I sinned against heaven and him. And then I'll tell him, I don't deserve to be your son. And, and, and that'll probably, you know, that'll get him. At least he'll let me in the door, you know. And I won't even ask for anything more. I'll just say, hey, just let me, I don't know, sweep. Can you relate to that? Maybe you have somebody that's, that you love and know that's obviously rehearsed an apology. My little Graham didn't speak. My little Graham knew American Sign Language. He knew how to apologize. There's a sign language in, in, uh, for American Sign Language, and it looks like a circle over your heart. You go like this. And if he did something naughty, I would say something like stop, which is like a karate chop. You know, stop, no, like I'm pinching, no. I said, you, you say you're sorry. And he'd go, Pretty expressive, right? He wasn't really sorry. But his father said, you better say, I'm sorry. I'll show you sorry. And and we do the same thing. We do. So he rehearses his apology. Now get this. The father runs out. I mean, to see, he's looking. I mean, it's been told to me and theologians would say, you know, generally speaking, a guy like the father who's, you know, pretty wealthy, isn't hanging out, leaning against the fence post, looking at the horizon, waiting for his kid that went out and really messed up to come home. I mean, it just isn't, that just doesn't happen. But this father did. Boy, imagine that. And not only that, he sees his son and he runs out and he just grabs him and he hugs him. Have you ever been grabbed and hugged like that? Have you ever grabbed and hugged somebody like that? Have you ever been so happy or had someone so happy to see you that they, they just they, they buried their nose and their eyes right against your neck and you could feel their tears on your neck? Have you ever done that? Well, that's what this dad did to this son. Before the son could ever say, dear father, I'm, wait a minute, I sin against heaven and you. Uh, you know, he didn't let him get that out, really. 
before he reconciled that son to him. He, he ran to that son. He held him. He hugged him. He restored him right on the spot. He told his servants to get the ring, to get the robe, to get the sandals, to kill the calf. We're going to party. My son is back. The father, it would seem, had forgiven that boy before he even saw him. He didn't rehearse it. That was a natural reaction. Some words to shake out of this, out of this story that describe this father's love. Audacious love, prodigal love. Prodigal means spending without regard of cost. The father, prodigal father, ran. He saw, he felt, he embraced, and he kissed that son. These are the nature, this is the nature of our father to you. Do you know that before you were born, God forgave you? Do you know that before you became a prodigal, he forgave you all of your sins. Why? For his son's sake. In your baptism, he claimed you as his child. And today, at his table, he's reaffirming your place at his table as a son, as a daughter, as one reconciled to him. You didn't have to rehearse anything. He knew you would be exactly as you are, and he's rejoicing right now. When he meets you at this table, imagine him holding you. Imagine this father kissing you, his tears coming onto your neck, tears of joy that flow from his eyes onto you because you are a son and a daughter that was once dead. But now you're alive. You were a son and a daughter that were lost, but are now found. You are his because of the one that knew no sin, knew no sin, but became sin on that cross for you and for me that we might have a spot with the Father that we don't start at the bottom of the totem pole. We are completely recon reconciled and we are his children, the king's kids. That's what Jesus has done for you. Come in a minute. The table's prepared. Because here is Jesus for you. In the name of Jesus, amen.